Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Life, Love, Marriage, Divorce, the podcast. I'm your host, Monique Davis-Dotson, and boy, do I have a treat for you guys. I have a special guest by the name of Letitia Hill. She is a life and business coach. She's a mom, she's a wife, and she has a really awesome story to tell. And so without further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and let her dive right into it. First and (laughs) foremost, my friend, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Monique Davis-Dotson. I have so many things that I want to share with you. First of all, I want to thank you for inviting me here to share my message with your audience. Um, It is so important that we women, um, especially we women of color, do this more often, right? We all are experiencing some similar challenges in life. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but back in my day, my grandmother, she was the matriarch of the family and every beat in the village revolved around her. Um, And one thing that I can always recall uh, is her girlfriends, she and her girlfriends would gather in the kitchen as they're preparing the feast for all of the families. But that was also their time to share. And that was also their time to love on each other. And, you know, just stand with one another through some of life's challenges. So I learned that at a very early age. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for it and didn't realize how important it was until I had to call upon those skills and get through some things. And the people who you call your friends and family, who are they really? Mm -hmm. Um, When tough things get tough, where do you go? Mm -hmm. And it's funny because life has shown me that no matter how far progressed I feel that I am in it, I still have so far to go. Um, And there's so many new things about me that are being revealed to me. Um, If I would just take a moment and pay attention, some of it, some really good golden nuggets that can take me wherever I want to go. So my life's experiences have both damaged me (laughs) in certain ways, Mm -hmm. um, but also um, given me coping skills, if you will, Mm -hmm. right? Allowed me to exercise some muscles that we don't do anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Allowed me to really identify situations for what they truly are, rather than just haphazardly responding spur of the moment. Um, a lot of that comes with age. A lot of that comes from just overcoming and getting through. That's why I wanted you to be um, a guest on the show because this is about overcoming. And you know, the, the title of the show, and you know, my blog and life, love, marriage, divorce. I mean, we go through different journeys and different phases in life, and mm-hmm. part of that journey is learning to love ourselves. Oh, for Um, sure. And you, you learn to love yourself when you go through certain challenges that force you to get there. Mm -hmm. You know, we go into marriage unions and covenants and sometimes divorce. And that's just not relational with, you know, um, being a couple with someone. It's more important to divorce the things in your mind 
or in your heart or in your spirit that limit you for, from being the best version of yourself. And many absolutely, times, absolutely. Right. And many times it takes that challenge for us to overcome, to understand what you are about to relay to the audience through your, you know, your, your will to overcome. Before we begin that, let me, let me get a little background on you. Cause I know you live in Dallas, Texas. However, I do. you weren't born in Texas. Give us a no, ma'am. Tell me, tell the people you know, <laughs> everybody who knows me knows I rep where I'm from, no yeah. matter where I am. And there's no place like it on earth. I tell people all the time, they write documentaries about where I'm from. If you don't know, go watch one or ask somebody. I profess myself to be an OG. 213er. And for people who don't know, California, Los Angeles, Santa Monica in particular, the original area code used to be 213 before the population grew and everything split. And now it's something totally different. So I am a West Sider. I am from Southern California. I am born and raised in Santa Monica, California, and proud of it. Um, being a brown girl from the beach is special. <laughs> and it is through one of my homegirls that has brought me to relationship with you. And on a totally side note, it I love her like I love a sister. Um, we've known each other before we were even conceived because our parents grew up together. Um, and we're great friends. She went out into the world and found life. I went out into the world and found life. She found you. And I am so grateful that the big fella sent him, sent you to be with her. Um, but I must confess that I get secretly just a little envious Every time you call her sister and BFF, <laughs> but I love the relationship that you all have. And I am so proud that you're able to be an example through that relationship to other women that we can love on each other and shine bright individually. And that's okay. Wow. So that's where I'm from. Um, my fight started just there, right? My grandparents migrated to California in the early 40s. And my grandfather hoboed a train from a small dust town here in Texas called Rosebud. Population is 1400. If you blink, you miss it. So he hoboed a train to California, got a job, worked, saved money, brought my grandmother, bought a house. This was before the 10 freeway went through to PCH. Mm -hmm. So the good old city of Santa Monica decided that they were going to build this freeway all the way through because it was economically the sound thing to do. And of course, they took it right through the brown and black neighborhood, which is where my family lived. So as the story goes, the bulldozers and everything had cleared all the way up until my grandfather's back door, and he had refused to leave his property. 
and the city ended up taking it back by eminent domain, um, but he got paid top dollar for it and was able to go then and purchase the place that I grew up as home. Um, that story is ironic because just here recently on social media, that story resonated and there were you know, documentaries and stuff that went on during that specific time period in that area. And that was us. So um, I've always been taught to stand for what I thought was right. Mm -hmm. um, I've always been taught that my word was my bond. Mm -hmm. Coming from a very small town, your word is very important. Mm -hmm. And I was always taught that I could do whatever I wanted to do as long as I was willing to put my mind to it and work for it. Now, while I was being taught those things, people were telling me those things, their actions were not lining up with their words. And I would later find out that some of those words that they were telling me was plain make-believe, fictitious made-up stories, otherwise known as lies, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So my formative years were kind of rocky because it was based on lies, um, which really impact you in areas that are important as an adult, mm -hmm. like trust, right? Like true love and relationships and what that really means, which is why it's so important, I think, for us to set better expectations um, of our young girls um, and provide better examples for all of our young people and give them a better head start, a better chance um, to, to endure some of these challenges that life is sure to give to them. Yeah. Right. In the word, it says, why are you surprised? Right. Why are you surprised that you have a challenge? Yeah, but it also says that we can overcome those challenges as well, you know, and I think that's the big, you know, sometimes that that's the thing that people don't convey enough, mm -hmm. you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Um, and I think exactly what you're saying, I'm in total agreement with you to be able to take these experiences and tell the mm -hmm. truth. And don't be ashamed. Tell the truth. Tell the it truth. happened. Yes. It yes. happened. It right. Does. It's not your best moment in time. And hopefully no one will hold you accountable for your worst moment in time. Um, but when we when we start piling on yeah. by taking a bad situation and then adding bits and pieces of additional negative energy to it, it's devastating in some instances, right? Um, we talk about strength and being strong. Yeah. Um, I've always been told that I was so strong. And were you strong always... or were you just like, you know what I'm saying? Because people say you're so strong and you can do anything and you believe that about you. But then when you're by yourself, when you were just all alone, how did you feel that strength? Did you know not at all, not at all, not at all, yeah. not at all. Mm -hmm. They've always said it because no matter what you throw at me, I'm going to stand. Right. I am. Right. I don't know what causes me to do it. It's in my DNA, right? right? Some people just have 
an optimistic gene. And I think that I have that. Mm -hmm. Um, But like you said, going through it, I'm just as scared, right? I'm just as nervous. Mm -hmm. I have all of the same anxiety. And I question how on earth am I going to get out of this thing, right? It's not like the magic box opens and the miracle code comes out. You've got to figure it out. Right. And, and I'm not strong. I, well, I am strong, but not in the brute strength way that I think that they were trying to say that I was. I'm glad not in the- I'm, you know what, not to cut you off, but I'm glad that you just said that because strength comes in different definitions for different people. So someone can project what their definition of strength may be and just tag it on you and you mm-hmm. assume, okay, well, that's what strength is supposed to represent. And I think as we mature and we go through different experiences and most importantly have our relationship and our connectivity with God, we understand that it is with his strength that we can do all things. And that's to me, because we're believers, but that's to me, the key to really defining what strength is. It's not this little fleshly body, because what you're saying is that we have doubts and we cry and we wonder and we do all of these things, but even on the outside, you might see this well put together person doesn't mean that I'm not dealing with some things on the inside. So don't share that strength on me to think that you can still ask me, how are you doing on the inside? Don't That's the thing, right? Yeah. You think yeah. that because I'm so strong that yeah. I don't need comforting. You think yeah. that I don't need encouraging. Mm-hmm. You think that I don't need some of those things and you just don't give them to me. Right. So I go through these challenges feeling alone, yeah. right? I go through these challenges not feeling alone because I know that I always have my heavenly father with me, but Lord knows sometimes a little earthly love and affection helps too. Um, So I have a cousin. We're more like sisters. We grew up living next door to each other. We're very close in age. And we were always compared when we were younger. And she calls me the ice. She calls me ice. And it's because she nicknamed me Ice Queen, because no matter what comes my way, I can weather it, right? And I do it with a smile. I can't help it. I can make it look good, right? Um, I tell people it's like a duck on a pond. When you see the duck on the pond, he's so regal and so stoic and just hanging out and having a good time. But under the water, he's treading water with like a fool, right? Because he's trying to stay afloat. So you can't always look at what you think you see on the outside and sum up what's going on with people on the inside, because 90% of the time, you're gonna get it wrong, right? So so you're right, strength and telling people they're strong. I think that they were, it was, in some ways it was flattery. In some ways, I think it was their way of trying to encourage me to just keep doing what you're doing because whatever that is, mm-hmm. it's getting you through that thing. Mm-hmm. And that's all we have. Those are the only words that we have to give you. You're so strong. 
Right. And it's not um, a so bad it thing. It's not an no. awful thing. It's we want no. to have strength. We want to, you know, persevere through anything. It's just that don't allow that tag or title of strength to cause you to not check in with that person. You said it earlier too. Definitely check in, but also I had to learn what my strength really was. Right. I had right. to learn the source of my strength mm-hmm. and the cre- and and the creator and identifier of my strength and and I had to learn my secret way of tapping into that strength and channeling it and being intentional with it mm-hmm. and 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 using it in very um, specific ways. And I, I have learned that that's a thing and I've been practicing it now for a minute. And I'll tell you, if you just allow him to do what he does on his timeline Mm -hmm. in your life, he will blow your mind Mm -hmm. at how great he can be even in the little things, right? So we, I'm all over the place because this is such a big, important subject for me because women are suffering. Women specifically are in bondage um, and they don't have to be. Mm. If we can just get these golden nuggets planted, um, there is harvest and bountiful harvest for everyone, um, as long as they're willing to cultivate those seeds along the way and do the work. Um, and I've met so many ladies mm-hmm. who don't have a Monique oh. with a podcast that is taking the time and has the, the heart mm-hmm. and really concerned and, and, and wanting better for her sister. So kudos to you for um, the podcast. I know that when it originally came, it came from an area of growth through your own um, overcoming your situation. So as long as we strong women keep talking about how we, how we made it over, (laughs) then there'll be enough secret sauces and recipes in the book that ladies all over can start to share with their future generations. Amen. And that's the whole purpose. Yeah. To be used as yeah. to be able to help somebody while you can, while we still here. So you're in Cali. Tell me how, I mean, born and raised in Cali, how did you end up in Texas, in Dallas particularly? I have always lived in California mm-hmm. and I knew that there was a big world out there, right? And I wanted to try something different. It's not like I could never go home, right? Home is always home. I've now lived here in Dallas. It'll be 16 years in September. It is where I live. I have great relationships here and I have good community here. But home is always Southern California. So I moved here when my sons were in middle school. No, no, no. They were in the 11th grade. And I say my sons, because I have two sons. Um, The first one I pushed into the world 
and I love him with all of my being. The second one is my love child. I didn't get him until he was in a tween age age, um, but I love him with all of my being as well. They are a year apart, so they went through school kind of twinning. <laughs> so they were in the 11th grade when we moved here and we were just looking for a change of pace, right? My mom had become uh, of retirement age mm -hmm. and she's a single person and the cost of living in California had gone through the roof mm -hmm. and her parents are from Texas. So yeah. all of her first cousins and everything are here. Mm -hmm. So as much family as I have in California, I've got three times that here in Texas. Right. So my mom was moving here and I saw an opportunity, right? Okay, somebody will go with me. We don't have to go by ourselves right. because family is important. So my mom actually came first and shortly thereafter, I sold my house in California. Me and my husband packed up the dogs and the two boys my daughter had just gone off to college and we moved to Texas and everybody thought we were nuts. And <laughs> it has been quite an interesting journey. Mm -hmm. People ask me all the time, you know, which one do you like better? And that's not a question, right? They, they don't compare. It's right. like apples and bananas. Right. So I've been here 16 years, so there's something that keeps me here because I don't have to stay, right. and, and home is the best place on earth, exactly. so, so I, I can find pros and cons in each of them, and I feel comfortable and at ease in both places. Now, my transition, we talked about how I got to Texas, right? So I came to, to Texas with all of these ideas, right? I was going to buy this big, beautiful McMansion because, you know, it was like hitting the lotto, yeah. right? Yeah. And I was going to decorate and do landscaping and bake cookies and just be the perfect housewife and stay-at-home mom and ride out the last two years with my sons. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. Quickly after arriving, my sons were like, all right, mom, the house is decorated. You can't put another flower in the backyard. And if you bake another cookie, we're going to puke. <laughs> you you got to do something with your time because you're driving us crazy. Right. So um, then I started volunteering, right? I was at a point in life where I had worked professionally for 25 years, right? I had a very successful corporate career. And I had planned well and was in a position where I could make these types of decisions for myself. So I came here with one thing in mind. After getting here, um, things started happening in my marriage. Um, there were some things that were not disclosed to me um, by my husband that when I found out, they were game changers, right? There were some things that people who are committed to each other in that capacity need to have conversation around. And we hadn't. And I learned the hard way because we were now in the midst of some of the negative backlash because of it. And this was early on. This was probably 2007, 2008. And we struggled 
for about three, four years. And I finally said, nope, that's it. I can't do this. Um, I need to show up for myself. I am not comfortable in this situation. And I am not in a relationship with an individual who's willing to work with me in the same area. Mm -hmm. And I had enough sense to know that you can't change people. So unless he wanted to come with me, he wasn't going to go. And that's okay because he gets a choice too. But just because he chose not to go didn't mean that I had to stay. Mm -hmm. And that was the hardest decision for me to make because I told you, you know, my foundation as a child was rocky. So when things got rough, I move around, right? I, I can pick up and start somewhere else. So I'm a runner in some instances. And because I'm a fatherless daughter, um, I did not have examples of what male-female relationships look like, only what was set for me on the TV at the time. And I grew up in the 70s, so I don't need to tell you that that was not right. Um, So I failed miserably at some really wonderful relationships with some really good dudes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can sit here at 56 and say that, (laughs) right? Um, But as I was going through it, surely it wasn't me. It was all their fault, right? Right, right. And, And it wasn't until I really was getting honest with myself and really discovering who I was and really reflecting on all of the experiences that I had that I realized oh yeah, that was you, (laughs) your fault on that one, (laughs) right? And um, as a result, as a result, I divorced my husband Mm. and I went out into the world and I told you I worked professionally. And by that time, my name was golden. So I was able to get some travel assignments and just go to different cities and different states and live like a bachelorette for the first time in life, right? I I had my first child at 19. So I had never done that college thing. I had never had my own apartment. I'd always shared it with someone. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in life, I'm now living like Mary Tyler Moore, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So it was great, but I divorced my husband. And in that time that we were separated, I did not speak to him. Um, And, but we have three children. So he was familiar with some of my movements through them. And while I was away, I met you. (laughs) Um, That's when, during the time when me and my homegirl had rekindled our relationship and I had started coming down to Houston and met the whole crew. And um, I, my, my relationship was complicated, right? We never talked about it. It was not the topic for discussion and it wasn't something that I would lead into with a conversation. Right. Um, 
But then I needed to have a medical procedure done. And he knew that. So he reached out to me and he said, look, I don't know what you're doing, what you're going through, what you're trying to find, but at least come home and let me take care of you through this because you need someone. And he was right. And in that moment, I realized that I may be slipping back into some familiar um, patterns um, when it comes to relationships. Mm-hmm. So I put my brakes. Sure. What are you really doing, lady? <laughs> right? What are you doing? Where are you going? What are you looking for? Who are you trying to find? So I was, I ended up being back home for six weeks recovering from this procedure. And in that six weeks, you know, we began talking for the first time it had been in three years and you grow and you change and things become more clear and you're a little wiser, right? And you're a little more patient and understanding and willing to, um, willing to make some adjustments because you realize that those small adjustments are nothing when it comes to the life that you've created and the family that you've built and the future that you've worked so hard that you're looking towards. Um, So we agreed, all right, we're going to, we're going to reconcile. We're going to do this thing again. Mm -hmm. That said, He's, he was in the medical field. That's where his background is. I'm in finance. When I got back home, we owned a 4,000 square foot sushi restaurant in Uptown. Um, He knows nothing about the restaurant business, certainly not the sushi restaurant business, (laughs) nor do I, but we had one, right? And I realized about him, he like many, right, grew up from humble beginnings. And so things have all are are very important to him. I think they help him to claim his success, if you will. I don't know. I've I'm a I'm a easygoing girl, flip-flops and cutoffs. I'm happy, right? So we have this big restaurant and we've got this big McMansion and now our children are in college and, you know, all of the financial issues that come along with that and all of the stresses and pressures that go along with that. And we're still in the reconciliation mode, right? We haven't remarried. We're just trying to work this thing through. I'll never forget. I was 50, right? I had turned 50 and for my 50th birthday, he bought me a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And he's not a motorcycle rider, and he does not approve of me being a motorcycle rider, but he knew that that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So after 20 years, he broke down and said, all right, wife, here you go. Be careful, and you can only ride with this person. <laughs> um, but I had just gotten my motorcycle. I was so excited. My birthday's in January, so the weather's not good riding material. By April, Mm-hmm. That same year, we would receive a knock at our front door. And from the day of that knock, life as I know it or knew it was ever changed. 
um, in ways that I never could have imagined without any forewarning, just fell out of the sky into my lap when, in my mind, I've gotten to this place in life where I can do my service work. I can do my civic duties. I can do whatever I want. I've done the hard part. I followed the rules. And in spite of all of that, with that one knock, here I am. So the knock was actually from an undercover FBI agent who had been sitting in his car in front of our home. And we saw the car there. I was cooking breakfast, right? And um, at the same time, my phone was ringing. And it was one of the girls who worked at my husband's office. And she says, hey, Miss Hill, what's going on? And I said, I don't know what's going on. It's first thing in the morning. We have a very cordial, you know, comfortable, casual relationship. So it wasn't uncommon. She says, no, really, what's happening? I said, well, you called me. I have no idea what's going on. And she's a smoker. And she had gone downstairs to have a cigarette smoke. Mm -hmm. And when she came back up the elevator in our building, um, I forget what floor the office was on, but when she came up back up the elevator, the entire floor had been blocked off. There were FBI agents in full fatigue, everything. Mm. And they had stormed our office. So the employees that were there, that's how they started. It was a Thursday. I'll never forget it. <laughs> that's how they started their Thursday morning. And this is, and the, this is the sushi business that they? No. Okay, so no, this is another business. His, his primary business was in healthcare. Okay. So the sushi thing was just a fluke. Something he it wanted never, to do. Okay. Yes. Okay, yes. I got you. I got you. So he's been in healthcare, came out of college, recruited by Blue Cross Blue Shield, helped to create some of the data sets for the way that they do things today. Okay. He's really talented in that area. So he had this business that was healthcare related. Okay. And this particular morning, the FBI showed up. So my son worked at this business. My mother worked at this business. I had a cousin that worked at this business. And everybody had been interrogated for most of the day by the FBI. So my husband was like, I got to go. I don't know what's going on. He left. I'm still at home. Now I'm wondering what in the world is going on. So my cousin calls and he says, hey, I need to talk to you, but I don't feel comfortable talking over the phone. They took all my things. I don't know if it's bugged. You know, where can we go? So I tell him, I said, meet me at my coffee shop around the corner. He knew where it was. Okay, perfect. I get in my car. I open the garage. I go to back out my driveway. That same undercover officer that had been parked blocks now my driveway so I can't leave. Mm. 
When I stop, he swings the door open. He gets out. He comes up to me. He says, ma'am, I'm sorry, but I can't let you leave. And I said, excuse me, what do you mean? This is my car, my house. I'm leaving. He says, well, I don't mean I can't let you leave. I can't let you leave in that car. He had a um, seizure notice. They had come to collect my vehicle. They had put a lien on our home and they had seized all of our assets in all of our bank accounts. We didn't know because we who checks that stuff every day, right? So when he said he had the seizure for my car, I'm like, all right, you're by yourself in an unmarked car. There's no tow trucks. Who are you? Right, right. right. You could be anybody. Where's some, where's some ID? So I, he had a clipboard in his hand. And so I grabbed the clipboard out of his hand. And he's like, ma'am, you're not supposed to have that. Well, by now I'm reading the document. It had my license plate on there. It had my registration number. It was signed by a judge. It looked legit. So I already know, all right, you're going to take my car, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I'm not going to leave in this car. I'm going to put it back in my garage. And he says, well, will you do me a favor and park it on the street? And I said, what do I look like to you? (laughs) You come here with no real documents, no backup, no transportation car, and you want me to leave my vehicle on the street to make it easier for you to steal? Who who are you? And so he's like, I assure you that this is going to happen. Will you at least just take your personal things out? Okay, fine. I put the car in the garage. Long story short, yes, they came and took my car. Um, They end up seizing every piece of paper that was in my husband's office. Um, Mind you, he had been in that office since 2005 when we moved here. So that was at least 12 years worth of documents. Mm. They were not expecting to have any of it because what they thought was that it was like one of those um, shell offices that it was just going to be like empty with a phone line in there. So when they showed up and there was a full staff (laughs) and all of these documents, they weren't prepared. Now they've got to interview everybody. They had to scan everything. It took all day. Long story short, he had made some errors with the way that he was processing his paperwork. They called it fraudulent. And as a result, I was named as a conspirator because... I had an affiliation with him. He was my husband. So in spite of my 25-year professional career documented, right, W-2s and all, um, they said that we were um, healthcare, what was it? Conspiracy to commit healthcare fraud. That was the actual charge. Um, Even with the charge, I didn't believe it. Right? How could this be happening? This is America we're talking about, don't you? What is going on? And it wasn't until our daughter, who happens to be an attorney, um, she, they had come to me and asked me to accept a plea deal. 
Mm. And I said, absolutely not. Right. I didn't do anything. I'm not going to admit guilt to something I did not do. Right. Well, as it turns out, to prove a conspiracy case, to get a conviction on a conspiracy case, you only have to prove association. I could not say that I did not know him. He was my husband. So what I was told by the person that I trust more than anything, who is my daughter, because she was motivated to do whatever to keep her mom safe. Right. She says, mom, I know it's not right. It doesn't make sense. It's certainly not just. Um, And fair is not even a word that we will bring into the conversation. But I need you to, I need you to take this plea. And Monique, I'll never forget it. I was in the attorney's office. I called her. She was in a deposition. She says, I can't talk to you now. Make it quick. And I blurted it out. She's in a stairwell. She says, sign the paper. I can't talk to you. And she hung up on me. I was mortified, devastated. I didn't know what to do. Oh, I would have been too. Girl, everything in me, it just, it it left my body, everything in me, but I trust her and I knew that she wouldn't tell me to do something if it weren't right. And I needed to yield to her, Mm -hmm. even though she was my daughter, even though I didn't agree. She was the expert in that area, right? Mm-hmm. So I did, and I, I accepted this plea deal, and it was for zero to three years. That was the plea. Okay. No one ever expected me to go to prison, ever. I do not have as much as a speeding ticket on my record, right? I'm L7 square vanilla my money goes to where I live you know there's no escape piles in the yard I'm just an everyday girl and I signed it and when I signed it and you have to go to court and when you go to court you have to say no one coerced you to sign this document right well if I signed the document I'd get zero to three and everyone was saying zero If I didn't sign the document, then I would have to go to trial and at trial, I would be found guilty because I know my husband, right? We're associated. So, so if found guilty, they were going to give me 20 years. So, oh my Lord, you heard me straight. Oh my God. So it was, it was the worst. And I, it was my day. It was my crucifixion of my character on that day, because I had to go and stand in court, raise my hand admit guilt to something that I didn't feel that I had done. And the most humiliating piece of all of that, the part that made me the angriest was some of the clerks in the courthouse, Mm -hmm. you know, this is just routine for them. This is just what they do. Mm -hmm. It's their job. Mm -hmm. And this one guy had fallen asleep 
and his head was back and his mouth was open because it was of no concern to him. This was just a regular day at the office, the day my crucifixion occurred. It hurt me so. (laughs) It hurt me so. So then it became, all right, you've admitted guilt, so now you've got to go and get sentenced. And in my sentencing, uh, my attorney had advised me to reach out and get character letters and have as many people come to the courtroom because a full gallery would show that I'm not just some Joe Schmo. I do have a community that I'm connected with. This will be good. Mm-hmm. All right. No problem. I got letters. I had people travel near and far. And it took all day. And at one point, I knew when he was going to send me to prison, because Mm -hmm. as I was sharing with him that I have no knowledge or familiarity with the healthcare industry, because I'm in finance, and my only crime was being married to this man who, let me just say, I do not believe is a criminal, and I do not believe willfully committed an act that brought this upon his family, right? I think he too has been victimized. Um, And that is also part and parcel why they sent me because I wouldn't say that he did something wrong. I didn't believe that. So I couldn't say that. So as I'm telling this to the judge and he sees my gallery and he has all these letters of recommendation and character references, he says, Mrs. Hill, I don't believe you. You are too intelligent and too smart to have not known that this was occurring. So now you're lying in my court. So I'm going to give you the max of your plea. And I'm going to send you to prison for three years. Oh, my Lord. It still plays out like a bad I could nightmare. I mean, we're, right? we're in this meeting and I see it over your face. I see it. You feel yeah. like in your spirit. Yeah. And I have grown past the brokenness, right? I, but I'm still very passionate about it. I'm still a little gimpy, if I'm honest, right? So I got to pick the day that I was going to prison. I told you guys that this would be an amazing story. Letitia, thank you for sitting at the mic with me and sharing your testimony. Guys, make sure you tune in for part two so that you can hear the rest of the story. What happens when Letitia enters prison, what happens during, and what happens and what's going on with her now that she's out. If you thought part one was good, wait until you hear part two. Thank you guys for taking the time to listen to Life, Love, Marriage, Divorce, the podcast. I sincerely appreciate you. Thank you once again. And to all the moms, happy Mother's Day. Hope you all have a beautiful day and that you're treated like the queens that you are. Make sure to tune in next week. God bless. And until the next podcast.